Highways Voices, the podcast of Highways News, your one-stop destination for all the news about the highways and transport technology industries and our must-read daily newsletter. Hello again, Paul Hutton here with the UK's most popular highways and transport technology industry podcast. And this week we're talking signals and training. It's become obvious that signals departments have just been decimated through voluntary early retirement, through budget cuts, through outsourcing. The numbers of the people in signals departments have been dropping. As I've travelled around the country working in various local authorities, I've encountered requests for training in numerous occasions because there is no one to learn from in many authorities. Talking to Jackie in the bar about it and sort of saying, well, what you really need to do is we need to find a way of you getting, sharing that knowledge uh, to a wider base in a more structured format. So scoot off and make a cuppa before a really interesting conversation as you settle down and listen as we move along with this week's Highways Voices. Highways Voices, the podcast from highwaysnews.com. Yeah, the puns don't get any better, do they? Thanks for joining us anyway for another Highways Voices. John Nightingale and Jackie Davies are our guests today. And when I say us, that's because it's not just me on the Highways Voices podcast. Welcome, as always, to my partner in crime at highwaysnews.com, Adrian Tatum. And Adrian, what's been grabbing your attention, other than my appalling gags, on uh, highways news this week well certainly not them paul news this week uh major news some major road and railway projects may be scrapped as travel patterns change as a result of the pandemic bbc research has found the bbc said that it learnt that civil servants are studying transport expansion plans to see what ones are still viable amongst road and rail projects as of course We've covered extensively on Highways News. Travel patterns have changed dramatically since the pandemic. More cycling or walking, less journeys by car, and a return of sorts to confidence of the thought of using public transport again. So some really interesting thoughts there, and we'll see in weeks to come how government responds to that. Also this week, 10 organisations have called on the government to consider road infrastructure and avoid congestion when building. So they're looking at the planning laws and the bit that always gets left out when thousands of homes are being built across the country, as they have been over the last decade and more planned in the future. In fact, probably double that amount in the next 10 years has been the infrastructure that goes with them. So housing developers often thinking about building the houses, but not the road, the infrastructure that goes with it. So um, an important story there. And news from earlier this week, Highways England going out to tender on Area 9 for their routine and response maintenance contract. Interesting you said about the uh, house building and things. It is one that I remember one of the uh, previous heads of ADEPT mentioned when it comes to who builds roads in this country, it's actually the uh, housing developers build by far the majority of actual miles of road in this country and of course all that we do as an industry when it comes to everything from road safety to transport technology it's very difficult to actually engage with them so that's something uh, I think we could put on the uh, on the industry report of could do better in collaborating with those house builders so it'll be interesting to see what effect that story has uh, in the days and weeks to come. Uh, pick Picking up on last week's excellent Highways Voices chat about driverless cars with Professor Nick Reed. If you haven't listened, do have a listen. Remember, all the podcasts we do are all available on the Highways News website. 
is an interesting summary of two different views on the concept from columnists. Uh, we ran that on Monday, and I'll point to an interesting webinar from the US about artificial intelligence and intelligent transport systems that takes place uh, on the evening of Wednesday, the 12th of May. It's in the evening hour time. That's the day we publish this podcast. If you've missed it because you're listening later on in the week, I'm sure it will be available on demand, but uh, always interesting stuff coming out of the US. And the RAC's survey about driving in 2020 throws up some interesting views about enforcement and the popularity of average speed schemes, road repair funding and electric vehicles. You'll find that story so many more on our website, highways-news.com. Highways Voices with Paul Hutton and Adrian Tatum. So Adrian will return uh, with Adrian's accolade later and joins us for the main interview today. But uh, you may remember a couple of weeks ago on Highways Voices, we heard from the Department of Transport's Darren Capes about £15 million of extra funding to help local authorities upgrade and repair traffic signals across England. There's been a real problem resulting in traffic signal maintenance over many years. A large proportion of the country's traffic signals do need work. They need repairing, they need upgrading, they need new technology. We realise this is a serious problem and, and this, is, this is a great first step by government to, to put some money into, into fixing this. So we, we absolutely want to work with as many authorities as we can to start the process of, of upgrading traffic signals. So we'll hear how well that's gone down any day now and keep an eye on Highways News for details of it. But this week on Highways Voices, let's do a little digging and check out how well we are prepared to actually do that work. Now, JCT is, of course, known for its annual traffic signals symposium every September. But JCT is also a leading consultancy on signals and delivers training around the world. Director John Nightingale has teamed up now with Bristol-based signals engineer Jackie Davis to deliver an online training course. So Adrian and I caught up with them to find out more about it. And I started by asking if we actually have the skills in this country to deliver the improvements that Darren and the team at the DFT is hoping for. As you probably know, Paul, I mean, I started out in, in local authority and, uh, and way back in the day, I mean, I've been at JCT now for 13 years and I, I came from local authority to work at JCT. And we had the luxury, even though it was a relatively um, small signal setup, we had the luxury at that time having sort of four engineers to look after Doncaster Metropolitan Borough's signals. But I've been doing training for many years at JCT. I obviously get to speak to a lot of people. And it's become obvious that signals departments have just been decimated through voluntary early retirement, through budget cuts, through outsourcing. The numbers of the people in signals departments have been dropping. Uh, and in many cases, where a department might have had something like four signal engineers, they've been dropped down to one. And even then, what you'll find is that that signal engineer who's left there has been given additional responsibilities, often becoming cycling officer or, or something like this. And so there really isn't the manpower and there certainly isn't that that sort of skill base where you would learn from the older and more experienced engineers. And many people are really out on a limb. Now, obviously, for training, that's good for us because we, we get lots of training, but there is no substitute for sharing that experience within the department. So the answer is no. I mean, there is a severe lack of skill actually in the industry now. And it's not because the people uh, that are in those positions don't want to do the work. Uh, they just haven't really got the opportunity to gather that experience. Jackie, have you found the same sort of experience in your day job in Bristol? 
So similar, yes, we were trained up alongside people where when it was apparent that they were close to retirement in order to try and mitigate the risk on that. But as I've travelled around the country working in various local authorities, I've encountered requests for training on numerous occasions because there is no one to learn from in many authorities. So you two have got together to work on trying to fill that training gap. Uh, explain to me what you've come up with. Well, this was partly born out of, to be honest, the JCT Traffic Signal Symposium, because as you know, Paul, for um, over 25 years now, we've been running the symposium. And the symposium, you know, it, it, for anybody that doesn't know about it, it is a, an environment where people come to share best practice. And we regularly attract experts throughout the signals industry, typically over 20 papers delivered over two days. And it's very fast turnaround papers. I mean, people will give some like a 15 minute presentation, often providing a written paper, very well attended and, uh, and very well respected throughout the industry. But we, we knew that um, from the symposium, there was a, an appetite for more. Many of the speakers will be contacted after the presentations and asked for additional information. It will actually lead to a, a lot of people sharing their knowledge offline away from the symposium. And signal engineers, I've got to say, are, are pretty generous in the way that they will share the knowledge. There are various forums where, where, where people will do this. But it was a, an idea that, that, that really came about a couple of years ago. And it was talking to Jackie in the bar about it and sort of saying, well, what you really need to do is we need to find a way of you getting, sharing that knowledge uh, to a wider base in a more structured format. And, and that's where we, we, we came up with the idea of obviously, well, first of all, Jackie doing some, some training for JCT. But also, you've got to realise that um, if we want to tap into that expertise, these are busy people. Obviously, we'll not often get the opportunity to go out there and do a public face-to-face -face training course. And if they do, perhaps only sort of once a year. And this is where really the idea started to, to come together about providing some form of self-paced learning where experts could record their experience, put it into a formal training format. And then obviously JCT, with the infrastructure that we've got for delivering training and, uh, and the expertise that we've got in this area, could put a real professional slant on that and make it available for, for, for people to do at their own pace. It's funny how you mentioned about you and Jackie chatting in the bar. And of course, we have that sort of yearning for those days. But in fact, the year that we've had where we haven't been able to actually interact in three dimensions, so to speak, has led to solutions such as a lot more online stuff this podcast that we're recording on zoom at the moment online training the online symposium that highways news was very proud to be the media partner of last uh, autumn i guess one of the positives out of uh, what we've put up with over the last year is the fact that the concept of an online training course is now something you don't even bat an eyelid, whereas possibly a year ago, people will have expected the sitting in a classroom uh, style solution. To be honest, before COVID was even on our radar, we realised at JCT that, that we had to really get something like an online offer going, not least because we, we actually do train internationally. Normally, every year I would go out to Australia and New Zealand, I would deliver courses out there. It's an expensive thing to do, expensive for the delegates as well, because there are a lot of overheads to cover. And obviously, it's something you can probably only do once a year. So we were under a lot of pressure to try and find ways of doing remote training. 
Now, it may sound simple to deliver things like online courses. Many people will think all you've got to do is um, get yourself a Zoom account or Microsoft Teams or something and away you go. But that's not the case, Paul, because in order to deliver real quality training, you've got to put a lot of thought into the way that these courses are structured. And as a result, back end of 2019, we ran a pilot course at JCT for online training. And we actually, it was so successful, the pilot, that we, we went live with online training in January in 2020 which was actually an in-house course because we can provide these things privately as well. And since then, as you say, it really has become the norm. To date, I was checking um, recently and we've delivered over 20 online courses since that very first private course in January 20. And we've got lots more in the diary, but it's taken some structuring, particularly to do with the fact that obviously a lot of ours is LINSIG training and LINSIG training requires people having access to software. So we've had to come up with some innovative methods, if you like, of giving people access to the software and try as closely as possible to replicate that classroom experience with a great deal of success, I think. And Jackie, um, tell us what the course consists of and, and, and simple things like how it's marked and how it's graded. Please. There are two elements to it. There's the, the UTC Scoot course for people that are Siemens customers and there's the TMS Scoot course for people that are DINIT customers. So we did, we did cover off both on both systems and the intention of the course was to provide the ability for people who have a UTC or TMS and who want to be able to use it more more efficiently to take a Topaz 2500 junction configuration to create the uh, junction in their system from that config then to create a scoop model for it validate that model and then run that site on a day-by-day basis so it's a beginning to end how to do everything in UTC scoop and the purpose of it was because a lot of users have had difficulties with getting the level of detail that they need uh, in order to run their systems effectively. So we thought we could provide an enhanced level of training that would assist local authorities to manage their own systems. Of course, for us, the benefit of it being a self-learn at your own pace thing as a council person is simply that I don't have to take three days out of the office and then come back to an enormous pile of work, which means I haven't got time to immediately use the skills I've just learned. I can do it at my own pace within my normal weekly activities. And it means that I can work on it bit at a time. So I, I, do, I do a task and then I use it immediately in my job. So it was, it was a really, hopefully, a very practical, very applied and, and very sensible way to actually deliver this training in a manner that people would be able to retain most of what they've learned. In terms of marking and grading, the intention is to provide course completion certificates. So people who have watched all of the modules through and completed all the exercises would obtain a course completion certificate. But if people did want something marked, then that could be arranged separately. So tell us more about the traffic signal skills hub, what that means in terms of this training, but also for the wider industry. Interestingly, we, we, we thought long and hard about what, what to call this self-paced learning platform. And um, there are a lot of academies around there at the moment. And, and we thought, you know, I talked to Jackie about it because Jackie's been w- with me on the journey from, from the start with this. We decided that this wasn't an academy. This is not a sort of a place where you'll come to do academic work. It is completely focused on skills, hence the name, the Traffic Signal Skills Hub. Also, the focus is very much on signals because that is what JCT is, after all, all about. But what we wanted to do with the Skills Hub is to broaden the level of training and the type of training that JCT can currently offer. 
Now, we're experts in certain fields, but by no means experts across the entire traffic signals field. And that's why people like Jackie are going to be so important in delivering the courses on, on the Skills Hub. And um, I've already had interest from other typically um, symposium presenters, but other people from the industry who are, are also interested in doing sometimes very short courses or even longer courses, and then potentially allowing, obviously, JCT to assist them to get that course material into a good format, to give them assistance, to give them mentoring in order to be able to deliver that training to the standard that, that, that we expect, but also to um, upfront get the courses ready get them onto a platform, a one-stop platform where you can go and look at this and then manage all the administration. So things like the printing, posting out the physical training materials, because we will still do that. Also handling all the logins, the accreditation. We're also a professional development partner with the Institute of Highway Engineers. And we will seek, obviously, to get all the courses approved by the IHE. We're also an ISO 9001 accredited organisation, so people can be confident that they're going to get the level of quality for the training as well. So I see this very much as a, a, a platform for us to share best practice across the traffic signals industry. And JCT, obviously, what we want to do is facilitate that and give people access and confidence, give the thing the JCT brand that we know that people value very much. With it being a self-paced online course with my local authority hat on, I, I'm not paying for hotels. I'm not paying for accommodation. I'm only paying for the course. I can slot it in around my normal day-to-day -day mm. activities. And also, if I do the course and I then go out and do my own validation work, my own system management work, that's going to actually be a, a good economy going forwards because it will be cheaper to do the course and validate my own sites than it would be to bring in an expert. So th from that side of things, I appreciate that the course is, has, comes with a price, but um, there, there will be some additional value to be had as a result of it being an online course that, where you do it at your own pace. So, uh, John, just building on the transition to online training, much like working from home and a lot of councils are still working from home a year later. Does that mean that there will be more expected online from the training you're offering? And, and will that training be different? Obviously, we're looking to the future. I mean, we're, we're looking to, to, to what's hopefully going to happen when we start to get back to something um, more normal, a more normal kind of uh, situation. And um, we very much see that the way things are going to go, this has been an opportunity, uh, to be honest, because the way that we see, see things going is that going forward, we will be offering probably three different streams of training in parallel. Face-to-face -face training still has its place. Uh, and we definitely want to get back to doing face-to-face -face training. But the online training and the self-paced training will still be running in parallel with that. So in other words, what you've got is a complete complementary offer. And you're right. I mean, a lot of people are uh, will continue to work at home. The way that people work anyway is changing. COVID has changed things. And we've also realised, obviously, that with these other methods of delivering training, we've got a greater reach. Uh, you want to do a course in the Outer Hebrides. Well, you know, you don't have to get on a plane and fly to Birmingham to do the course. Internationally, recently, I had a course where half the course was filled with people from Ireland, but I actually had a guy on from Trinidad and Tobago on the Introduction to Signals course, which is fabulous because we're getting a much wider reach. And indeed, we have big running online courses where I've been staying up overnight and we've been delivering to Australia and New Zealand. We had a very successful webinar on that recently. So very much, Adrian, it's going to be a parallel offer. 
Uh, and that with the opportunity to then bring in additional experts to complement the JCT offer, I see the trading future, you know, extremely rosy. We're looking at this as an opportunity. We've nearly run out of time. Just want to quickly catch up with you on where we are with the symposium. And I mentioned about meeting in three dimensions. Are we going to get back to the curry and pasta night, the gala dinners and in amongst that some chat about traffic signals and other traffic related events um, all together in the same place? Oh, I hope so. As you know, last year was very challenging. We desperately wanted to get the symposium on in September. We had to make a call a couple of months before that, that we were going to go to a a webinar. Now, the webinar, and thank you very much to Highways News for your, your fantastic support on that. We couldn't have done it without you. The webinar was a massive success. We actually had, I think it was 494 attendees at the two day webinar. And interestingly, brought in uh, an audience, an international audience. I mean, it really was a, a totally international audience. Fantastic event. It was a financial disaster because we actually had to run the thing uh, for free. We knew that if we charge money for it, we didn't think we'd get the attendance. But we were very generously supported by our traditional exhibitors. They gave us some money to, to get the event on. And that at least meant that we could we could retain the quality. Now, this year, 2021, Things are looking pretty good. We're hoping that the COVID situation will be such that we will be able to meet physically. What I can tell you positively is exhibitors are absolutely flocking already, booking up the symposium. We're looking at the figures recently. We've got new exhibitors who want to come. The papers situation is really good. I've already got about a third of the papers that I need for uh, September, but there's still room for more. So we're still hunting for quality papers. Of course, we've no bookings as such yet, but we wouldn't expect that in a normal year anyway. Everything's looking good, Paul. What we've got to do is keep our fingers crossed and just hope that we can get back to that that fabulous event. Because as good as a webinar is, it's not as good as the sort of networking that you're going to get at the symposium. So I'm so looking forward to catching up with so many people in the industry in person in Nottingham in September. And all the pointers are that we'll be able to do it. Can't wait. In the meantime, look out for more details of John and Jackie's training courses here on highways-news.com. Highways Voices, the podcast from highwaysnews.com. Highwaysnews.com. So before we go, it's time to tip our hat at someone or something doing great work in the industry because it's time for Adrian's Accolade. And Adrian Tatum, who's your accolade going to this week? Well, one of the uh, most criticised professions, I think, in this uh, in this country is is probably the uh, the role of MPs in their day to day job, and of course especially the ones representing the higher echelons of uh, government and cabinet. But um, my accolade this week goes to two MPs that I think have made a really interesting point about active travel. So Celine Saxby MP and Simon Fell MP have said, instead of wholly rejecting the shift to active travel on the basis of poor administration and in a handful of cases, we should be championing schemes that are proven to work best. And those two MPs have said that the only real, real way to drive active travel isn't about funding. Um, it isn't about building the scheme. It's about proper community collaboration, proper community consultation and effective delivery in the end. And I think that probably sums it up. As we've seen over the last year, a huge amount of money invested in active travel. 
and then a consideration by the government whether it was being done properly at, at council level. I think on the whole, it has been. And like anything, there will always be some people in the communities that like the scheme, some people that want them removed. Um, but I think it's done a, a hell of a lot of good for the community and the country as a whole. And I, I think these two MPs make a really valid point. So congratulations to Selene Saxby and Simon Fell for winning this week's Adrian's Accolade here on Highways Voices. And that does it for this podcast, but I'm pleased to know that training in our industry is in good hands. Thanks to John and Jackie for explaining all of that with us. Thanks to Adrian as well. And we'll talk London next week and pick up on actually quite a few of the subjects we've covered on this week's Highways Voices. I'm really pleased to uh, say that Glyn Barton from Transport for London is our guest next Wednesday. You won't want to miss what he has to say. We'll talk again then. Highways Voices. Join us again next week for more insights from those that matter in the industry. 